Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Go Brahmanandi Hari Hari Bo. So we are back. It's Monday morning. And Satyarupa reminded me that we have questions we didn't answer from the past week. And so tomorrow we'll speak about Radharani in America. Tomorrow is Radharani's appearance day. And today we'll start with questions. And I was I'm now using my computer as opposed to my phone. And I just we'll see today if everything goes well. It's I think the resolution is higher and so it's a question of whether we're gonna break up. And Satyarupa has sent me the questions. And I'm just gonna bring them up now. And I think I'm going to begin. I don't think I'm going to chant. We always go over time. So I thought maybe we could start. <laughs> of course, I have to see how many people are here. You know, you you wait for me to chant, and then uh, gives you time to come and get ready. Right? Yes, Hare Krishna. This is, these are amino acids. They do well, keep my brain working. So, Namam Vishnu Padaya, Krishna Prashtaya Bhutale, Srimati Bhakti Vedanta Sham, Itinamani Namasti Sarasati Deve, Gauravani Pachanini, Nirvisesa Sanyavadi Paschachita Satanini. Okay, there's, we have to wait for all of you to come. So we'll chant a little kirtan. I think you can hear this. I can't hear it. Hold on. Oh, I know why. You should be able to hear the keyboard. Let me know. That should be good. Let's just change a little bit. Jeradha Marhava Kunjabi Hari Radha Marhava Shut up, 
Okay, so we're all back. At least about half of us are back. Um, maybe you doubted that I would be back. Um, I usually, I find that if I take a break from my regular classes, sometimes it takes a few days for people to get back into action. <laughs> to get their routine changes. And it takes them a while to get back. Okay, so, as I said, Satyarupa sent some questions. This is a question. These are questions that came up in relation to past classes, so con we have to remember the context. It's different than if I were just speaking about something. But now we're reading questions that relate to things that I spoke about last week. So we'll try to remember what we were speaking about. So this is from Prabha Satya Narayana. We will have to consider the people who gave pain for us or giving pain and trouble in our life. Someone who judges us or hurts us also as someone who liberates us. There's a, a beautiful statement in Bhagavatam. I believe it's in the third canto purport in which Prabhupada says that everything... Everything in this world is meant for our liberation. So if we can just see it that way, then obviously whatever happens, we will see it as positive. And whatever anyone does to us, we will see it as positive and helpful. It's easy to see it when it's obvious that it's helpful. It's not easy to see it when it's painful. And even when it's obvious that it's helpful, when it's painful, it's hard to accept, or difficult to accept, or hard to admit this is good. Or we might say, well, Krishna, why, why did you have to do it this way? And the answer will always be, because this is what you needed. And if you, if you don't need it, I won't give it to you. And Krishna doesn't like to see his devotees suffer, but part of the suffering of devotees is that we're suffering in the mater in material existence. So if a little suffering will get, a, get us out of material existence, that it means a little suffering will help us avoid a lot of suffering, and Krishna will do that for us. That's his mercy or his kindness. It's, it's necessary. And then, and then you may ask, well, what about the pure devotee? Why does he suffer? The pure devotee suffers when he takes too many disciples, Prabhupada said that. That's my only, you know, Prabhupada, why are you suffering? You you get sick. Have you, you have karma. My only sin is I accepted too many disciples, meaning too many unqualified disciples. Sometimes the pure devotee gets sick too. And Prabhupada said, to remind the disciples that you're committing sinful activities and your guru is getting sick and you should stop committing sin. 
It also shows that if you have a material body, it's subjected to the conditions of the material world. And also we learn, because the, the, the pure devotee sets an example. So he sets an example, and we all... Excuse me. We all can learn from that example that sometimes he becomes ill, but he's not affected by it. Just like like Prabhupada translating in the last days. Just what an amazing example for us. And we may complain about illness, but with that example, it's, it's difficult to complain. So when you see a pure devotee ill or struggling, we can understand it in these ways. And he's always exemplary in whatever he does. And, and we need we need that example, don't we? We need that example. Okay. Now, in theory, I should not miss any of your comments because I'm directly on Facebook. Francisca's here. Francisca, had a, she's from Chile. She had an uh, operation and she didn't know if she was going to make it. So we're very happy that she's here, alive and well. Krishna has given her life to do much service. And so everyone can say Haribo to Francisca. She won't hear you say Haribo, but you can say it. Um, okay. Ankush has a question. How can a devotee be attached and detached at the same time? You mean to the same thing? Attached enough to do it and detached enough not to become entangled. Well, first thing, a devotee is attached to their service but they're not attached to being honored for their service. And ultimately, they're not attached to the success of their service, at least if they've done their best. Of course, we want, we want to be successful. But if we're not successful, we don't give up. That would be attachment to success. So we're detached in the sense that we do our best, and that's all we can do. If... If you using the example, let's say, of Grihasta life, it would be somewhat unnatural to be completely detached, and it would be very unhealthy to be completely attached. So everything in the world is going to be taken away from us, so it's foolish to be overly attached unless it's for something Krishna conscious, which is eternal, which we should be attached to. And so, but it would be, it would be unnatural to be completely, completely detached unless one is very evolved, evolved, evolved. And it would be impractical to be completely detached, at least externally, because the family, family thrives on some healthy degree of attachment. So the detachment that a devotee sees is that this is all Krishna's. So, yes, just like we have God brothers and God sisters, 
we're attached to. But we're not attached to enjoying them. We're attached to their company because their company inspires us in Krishna consciousness. So when you say attached, the connotation is I'm attached to getting enjoyment from it. But if I'm attached to it as a duty, or I'm attached to it because this is my family and they're natural objects of attachment, but I'm not attached to enjoying them, I'm attached to serving them, then you're detached at the same time as you're attached. Attached, attached means I want to enjoy something independently of Krishna. And just like when you get married, if you do get married or if you are married, we should not see our spouses as objects of our enjoyment. And that, that's difficult because that's why people get married. They get married to enjoy, but in Krishna consciousness we get married to serve. So we see our husbands, wives, children as objects of our service. So we're attached to seeing them become pure devotees. We're attached to their association. We like being with them because it helps us in our Krishna consciousness. But we're not attached to them for sense gratification. And that's that's the pitfall of Grihasta life. That we we get married for the purpose of sense gratification, but we should get married for the purpose of service. So even though we're attached, we're simultaneously detached because we use the attachment in a careful way. So I'm I'm attached to this husband, to this wife. They're helping me. I like being with them. We we do things together, we're happy together, but I'm not attached to exploiting them, I'm not attached to enjoying them. That's Krishna conscious marriage. Not easy, is it? Because especially when you're young, we're very attached to enjoying the opposite sex. And maturity in Krishna consciousness means we're we've lost the desire to enjoy the opposite sex. That's what it means. That's a consequence of advancing. So, if you understand that, then you can evaluate how well you're doing. And if you're attached to enjoying in your mind, which you may be as a condition, so at least don't become attached enough to actually execute it. And then work on the subtle aspects. At least we detach grossly first in action. Then we we next need to purify the internal. Okay, so that was from August 11th. Now we have August 12th. Wow. Hmm. It's going back a few days. Okay, Ankush has many questions. Why do we celebrate John Mostomy when Krishna is unborn? Yeah, Kunti had a problem with that also. She said it's bewildering. that the unborn takes birth. Well, Ankush, <coughs> Prabhupada said, <coughs> we, we could have a festival every day. <coughs> you can have a festival around anything Krishna does. I got, I got some new Chinese medicine from PC. I have now four varieties of Chinese medicine. I, I have many choices to soothe my throat by the mercy of PC. Some interesting Chinese medicine. 
So you could take any leela of Krishna and have a festival. So, you know, you have the festival around Damodar, you have the festival of Krishna's birth, Julan Yatra, swing, you know, you could, you know, have a festival around Krishna killing Putana. You could have a festival around Krishna killing Sankatasura or Bomasura or Rastasura. Let's have a festival. Today, Krishna killed the bull demon. All right, so we'll make an effigy of the bull demon and someone will dress up as Krishna and take him and kill him as Krishna killed him. Why not? So that's the idea. Any excuse to have a festival, have a festival. It's a festival will help you remember Krishna. That's the whole point. So the unborn has taken birth. That's the, the bewildering nature of Krishna. So it's not the birthday. We call it the appearance day. Krishna is the day Krishna appeared on earth. So the tradition is to celebrate birthdays. So we'll use that as an excuse. Govardhan Puja is actually a bigger festival in Vrindavan than John Mastami. Did you know that? It's actually bigger. Krishna lifted Govardhan Hill. Now it's a big festival, cooking so many things. So you don't need a reason to have a festival. You just have a festival. Have one every day. 365 festivals. The 365 Leelas have a festival. When my... My daughter was young. She was playing, and I said, well, what are you doing? She said, well, we're playing the Leelas of Krishna. She was like six or something. She said, she said you adults, you know, you should do this also. You should play the Leelas of Krishna. You'll like it. You'll, you'll get purified. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Isn't it? Interesting. Try it. Let me know how it goes. Ankush, today, go play the Leelas of Krishna. Um, Ankush has another question. When Lord Krishna takes birth, do they come in <coughs> different universes? Yes. As Prabhupada said, it's the eternal roadshow. So Krishna's taking birth right now in some universe. And he's taking birth right now in another universe. And... You'll never guess what happened in another universe. You're right, he's taking birth. And the prophet said, certain associates, they travel with Krishna, like Arjuna, Kunti, and they never exist in the spiritual world, only in this world with Krishna. And then Krishna brings his eternal roadshow, that means he asks his descendants, not descendants, he asks his associates to descend. So they expand, that they descend and they display his leelas here. So we can understand what is pure bhakti. So he brings pure devotees to show us what pure devotional service is. Yesterday I gave a class in the afternoon for the temple in Crawley in England. And we were, we were talking about this example of pure bhakti, and you don't, you can't really understand what it is unless there's pure devotees showing it. We had a painting done in Mayapur. There's an artist there. He's amazing. 
All he can do is copy. He can't do originals, but he can copy. And he does it as a service. So you get like, it's this huge original painting. We've got like four feet long, four feet high, or four and a half, like a hundred dollars, 125. So we, we've lived in our house for 16 years and we finally put up a painting in the living room. That's amazing. And it's Radha and Krishna. Very um, beautiful painting. And we're looking at this painting and I'm telling my wife, I said, this is, this is it. This is the epitome of love. If you can understand this, you can understand what love is. So unless the pure devotees come and engage in leelas with Krishna, how will you understand what love is? And Radharani personifies that love to perfection. So by hearing about the glories and pastimes of Radharani, we get a glimpse as as best we can understand what is pure love. And we need to understand what is pure love because we're trying to develop pure love. Correct? Correct. Okay, now I have to go back. Since previously... I was on my computer and my phone so I could look at what you're saying and also look at what I'm reading, but now it's all on one computer. So, um, <laughs> Vijay Lakshmi says, the real meaning of Janmashtami is when Krishna enters our heart, if we invite him that day. Yes, every moment, every day is Janmashtami, yeah. And, you can invite Radharani into your heart. What's it on my wrist? This is um, it's a treatment. It's a frequency treatment for my allergy, amongst other things. And it sends frequencies through my phone app into this. And if... if and it sends different frequencies, and this is the allergy frequency. And if I stop sneezing and watery eyes and runny nose, which I don't have any right now, it means this is working without any medicine. That's amazing. It has frequencies like for everything. So I did, last night I did the frequency for circulation, and I think it, circulated so much that it, I looked at my watch, it was 12.30 at night. Hmm. And I was wide awake. <laughs> I think it was circulating. And so I went to bed about 1, and about 6 a.m. this morning, I was also wide awake. So maybe it works. And, uh, yeah. So we'll see. I'm not... I'm not Sneezing now, so that's good. Okay, so we'll go back to the questions. And if you want to get one, we can sell you one. But you have to be rich to get it. Not cheap. It's, a, it's made by a devotee. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not sneezing now, so that's good. Okay. So Priyambada has a question. I think I've heard that Lord Balaram appeared in Devaki's womb in order to prepare it for Krishna's appearance. Is that accurate? Yes. If Krishna appeared from Devaki's heart, I'm not sure I understand this. Heart, womb, all the same. 
the Prabhupada, Prabhupada explains that, that the Balaram, his position is he's always serving Krishna, he's always facilitating, preparing, whatever has to be done, that's Balaram, he does it. So he was getting the womb ready. Womb, heart, we, we read that last week. Krishna appeared in Vasudev's heart and then he transferred her, transferred him to Devaki's heart. So you, you could say the womb because that's what we normally say, but it was actually the heart. And so the consciousness, and that's where he came from, her consciousness. But so we could, if you want to substitute the word heart for womb, then Balaram's there preparing that place where Krishna is going to appear. That's what he did. So Balaram is always servant, elder brother, protector, facilitator, making sure everything goes well. That's Balaram's position. John has a question or a comment. I read the first three chapters of Krishna book for a holiday. Prabhupada wrote that Krishna's descent was out of loving desire for pastimes with us. He wants to hang out with us. So often over years I've not remembered him. How to remember day to day. So as we said, Krishna, as I think we've said in this class, Krishna comes to advertise. Here I am, this is w what I do, this is what I'm like. Here are my associates, this is what we do. And I would like to invite you to join us. But to join us, you have to stop doing what you normally do, which is imitating me. Because if you're going to imitate me, then it's really not fun for me to have you around as it wouldn't be fun for you, John, if somebody went to your house and imitated you and kind of took your wife and your job and your car and so many things and kicked you out, which is basically what we're doing. Um, but if that person wants to give you things, certainly you'll take them and use them. So, Krishna, if you want to give me things, that's fine, but I kick you out. So, Krishna comes, it's an invitation Check, check this out. Does this sound good? Do you like this? you want to be part of this? Um, like that. So, and then you say, he wants to hang out with us, which is amazing because there's a lot of people that don't want to hang out with us and Krishna does, so that's amazing. And Krishna misses us and this is, this is not something that, that everyone can understand because if you look at it materially, you would think, well, why would God want to hang out with us? So you can't look at it materially because we're all connected to him. We all have a relationship with him and Krishna wants to exchange in that relationship with all of us. That's his nature. And every one of you has a relationship with Krishna, which is slightly different in the taste that that relationship gives Krishna. So you... By your relationship, you can give you can give pleasure to Krishna, believe it or not. That's interesting. That each of us can give pleasure to Krishna in a unique way. And Krishna wants that relationship with all of us. And it's a beautiful thought because then we think, well, he wants that relationship, so now I have to become qualified to exchange that relationship. That's 
what Krishna consciousness means, to become qualified to reciprocate with the relationship that Krishna wants. And so Krishna is patiently waiting for us to reciprocate. As we said in another class, he's done everything, now it's up to us. We have to do the rest. So he's waiting. So don't look at it materially like, why would God want a relationship with me? Because, because he does. That's all you need to know. Because there's some something that he relishes in that relationship. And it's understandable for us why we, will, we would want a relationship with him. But we have to stop trying to be him. And then, um, how to remember him day to day? Well, of course, the best way to remember him is to become attached to him, for sure. But that doesn't happen overnight, so there's so many ways you can remember him. What, what, I, what I would like to help all of you achieve is being able to see him everywhere and in everything, because then you remember him. So just ask yourself, how can I see Krishna in everything, in everything I'm doing? Where is he? How is he present? And just by asking the question, you'll start to see how Krishna's present. He is present, for sure, in everything. You get a thought, you get an idea, then you think, how is Krishna present? He gave me that idea. It came from Super Soul. I'm driving my car down the road. How is Krishna there? Well, he's giving me intelligence to drive the car. And the elements of the car are his energy. So if you, if you look at it, there's always a way to see Krishna in everything. You just have to know how to see it. Sun, I'm the light of the sun, the light of the moon, taste of water, ability in man, talent, strength in man, beauty, manifestation, everything beautiful is manifestation of him. So, I mean, another way of asking that question, we could ask a rhetorical question, how can you not see Krishna? How do I see Krishna everywhere? How could you not see him everywhere? How do I see the person who is everywhere? How do you not see the person who is everywhere? That's, we think, wow, it would be amazing to think of Krishna 24-7. The most amazing thing is we don't think of him 24-7 because we're looking at him and we just don't see him. Christe says, Our past traumas, bad experiences reflect on our relationship with Krishna. How do we overcome those past experiences? Can it be done gradually during the process of purification or other professional assistance like psychotherapy should be considered? It depends on the nature of the past trauma. Sometimes through the practice of bhakti, everything is healed. Sometimes after many years of bhakti, there's still more healing and it may require some professional help. It, you know, I've met devotees who are very affected by traumas in their life. I, I told told a story of a godbrother we had. He'd been to Vietnam. He was a medic in Vietnam. And a medic means you go on the battlefield and risk your life and saving others' lives. So he, he saw many injured men. He saw many men died. It was traumatic. And it seemed that he never recovered from that. I don't know if he did therapy or not. But, you know, sometimes traumas are deep. There was a devotee who told me that her parents told her 
but they didn't want her she was an accident and and then they said we wish we wish that you were never born wow could you imagine growing up like that thinking that my life was unwanted my life is an inconvenience to my parents so that's a very traumatic experience now some people can deal with it better than others but the point i would make is that we shouldn't let anything get in the way of our Krishna consciousness. And if it's getting in the way of our Krishna consciousness and we're trying our best to purify it, transcend it, deal with it, and we're failing, then we're going to need help. Then the help may come from other devotees. But in cases of severe trauma, it, it, no, no devotee may be qualified to deal with it and we may need other help. In the case of like this girl or sexual, if someone has been sexually molested, that's very traumatic, it can be a very traumatic experience. Even recently I came to understand, I didn't know this, that if your parents are alcoholics, uh, there's a lot of dysfunction that can ensue in your life because of that. Okay, we finished that allergy. I can take them off. Um, a lot of dysfunction in the family that affects affects you as an adult. And I just recently learned about this because we were, we were dealing with helping devotees with sexual addictions. And addiction is it's similar whatever the addiction is. And so we were learning about this, and we I think I had mentioned this. And then some devotees said that they realized that there were certain problems they were having in their life because their parents were alcoholics and they did some work for the children of alcoholic parents and it helped them. So my, I think, you know, a lot of times devotees, they, they, they say, well, you, you know, you shouldn't go to these things or these things aren't necessary. And maybe in general that's true. But there's also the principle that do what's necessary to help your Krishna consciousness. And if something is deemed to be necessary, that, I, that I've tried everything else and it, it didn't work and I'm still suffering psychologically, emotionally because of uh, things, experiences I went through, and it's a, you know, it may not affect your bhakti, so it may not be such a concern. You may be able to deal with it, you're affected by it, but you're, you deal with it well. But sometimes we see people don't deal with it well and it comes out and becomes a problem for them. That be you know, self-pity, depression, bad relationships. So these things can affect your Krishna consciousness. So why why not heal it if it's detrimental? It doesn't make any sense. Say, well, someone will say it's not Krishna conscious or this or that. Well, it's not Krishna conscious not to be Krishna conscious. And if something can help you be Krishna conscious, then how could you say it's not Krishna conscious? You might say, well, on the surface it's not Krishna conscious because it's not Bhagavad Gita. Well, the doctor's not the doctor who's doing your triple bypass saving your life is not chanting Gita shlokas. So the person who's sorting out some past traumas you've had, if once sorted out it helps you become more Krishna conscious, that's that's beneficial. And so it's a reality. And I can't say in every case it's going to be beneficial. 
That's something you'll have to decide. Um, sometimes it's just a matter of introspection, getting some coaching, maybe reading a book if you have extremely low self-esteem, things like that. It's not like a big thing. Uh, sometimes it's just a matter of hearing what Prabhupada said about something and it heals you. You had some good japa today and it healed you. I mean, there's the point is to be healed somehow or other. And obviously our first choice is the direct process of Krishna consciousness. But, you know, in, in, in what I understand in the case of serious addictions, that requires serious help. And one devotee just sent me a talk by a guy who deals with addictions, and he said that this pornography addiction, it's, it's going rampant. And he said, if you've had an addiction from a very early time in your childhood, not like you, know, you, had an, you got into alcohol or pornography when you were 20 or something. He said, if you got into it when you're like 11 or 12, 13, said probably group support work will not be enough. You'll probably need personal one-on-one -on -one therapy to overcome it. Now, Krishna can do anything. You could overcome it by chanting, by good association. That's And we've seen that. But in some cases, no, it may not be possible. Some cases, the Sangha of devotees is all you need. It works wonders. But the point is, if your case is special or you're special and you've done everything and still you have a problem that's severely handicapping you in Krishna consciousness, you have to do something about it for sure. Okay, now I'm just going to see if you have any comments. Uncouth. So I'll, I'll, before we read any further questions, I'll read your comments. Ankush is the has lots of good questions. Gita Krishna says, "Give up all sorts of religion and surrender to me." In Bhagavatam seven nine eleven, he says, "I do not want service from anyone." Why different statements from Krishna? It means he doesn't need service. How does a neophyte devotee understand? When Krishna says surrender to me, it's not like you saying surrender to somebody. Um, when Krishna says surrender to me, he's actually saying love me. So look at that verse like just give up everything and love me. Okay, so that's, why not? That's kind of Krishna. He, he's asking us into the relationship. But then Krishna's saying, but if you don't love me, you know, I'm not going, I'm not going to have any, like, major problems. It's really you are the one who's going to benefit. So when you say, I do not want service, I don't need service from anyone. I'm self-sufficient. But if you want to enter into a loving relationship, that I want that. But I'm Atmarama also, I'm self-satisfied. So I want it, but I, I don't need it. And I need it, but I don't need it. You know, it's sometimes like 
you fall in love with a girl and you want to marry her, but you don't want to marry her if she doesn't want to marry you. So you say, you know, I'd like to marry you, but you decide, it's up to you, and if you don't want to, I understand and no problem. So Krishna is a little bit like that. You know, I want the relationship, but if you don't want it, that's fine. We can, I can continue with my leelas with all my other friends. Even if you're not there, it'd be nice if you're there, but you know, if you're not there, it's not going to be the end of the world for me. So when Krishna says, surrender to me, it's all about us. It's not about him. And Krishna is saying, I don't need you to surrender. I don't need it personally. It's for your benefit. <clears throat> Vijay Lakshmi is giving a similar answer. He only needs our love. So she quotes the verse. Let's read it. Supreme Lord, <clears throat> the Supreme Personality of Godhead is always fully satisfied in himself. Therefore, when something is offered to him, the offering by the Lord's mercy is for the benefit of the devotee. For the Lord does not need service from anyone. To give an example, if one's face is decorated, the reflection of one's face in the mirror is also seen to be decorated. Krishna is Atmaram, self-satisfied. So, uh, you decorate Krishna, you become decorated. You clean Krishna's temple, your heart becomes clean. You decorate Krishna, you become beautiful also. So that's the idea. Krishna wants it, but he doesn't need it. You know, let's say, let's say I'm Kush. I'm very, very successful, very popular, very wealthy. And I say, I really like you. I'd like you to come into my company. And I think you'd really like it and enjoy it. And there's a lot of benefits for you, financially and otherwise. And so you can decide to come or not. And if you decide not to, it's not going to affect me or my company because I'm just offering that because I love you. But if you don't want to and you don't want to love me, okay. It was for you. I'm fine. My company's still there. Something like that. Okay. So let's see if there's any other questions. No, that was it. Um, we have one from Mexico. Knowing that is very beautiful. Knowing that Krishna misses me and awaits me. Yeah. Yeah. Because, okay, there's a, there's a problem that affects some of us when we become devotees. We, we never realized how impure we were until we, we became devotees. Maybe we didn't even think we were impure. Maybe we didn't even know what impure means. Maybe we, we thought that breaking all the principles is just normal life. And there is no pure. That's just the way everybody lives. Then you become a devotee. You start to live a pure life. You understand what a pure life is. But then you understand how difficult it is to live a pure life. Every, you know, something is easy when you don't have to do it, when you don't try to do it. But when you actually try to do it, then you realize, well, this is not as easy as I thought it was. From a distance, it looked like, well, I could probably do this. Then you try to chant 16 rounds, follow the four principles, and you realize, yeah, 
It's harder than I thought. And then as you become purified, you become more aware. Your consciousness becomes more clear. So you more clearly see your faults. And then you really confront the reality that I'm, I'm not such a great person as I thought I was. I see there's envy in my heart. And I didn't realize that envy was there or I didn't realize how much envy I had. Or I see this desire to enjoy that's much stronger than I ever thought it was. Or the desire to compete or whatever it is that you're dealing with. So naturally in that state one then thinks why would Krishna want a relationship with an impure and imperfect person like myself? And to make matters worse, if you came from a family that wasn't affectionate to you, or you had friends that weren't affectionate to you, it could make you start to think that you're not even worthy to be loved because even my Friends didn't love me, or my sister or brother didn't love me, or my mother and father. That happens. That happens sometimes. You come from families where you're not loved, and then, and then it's likely you'll think, well, I'm not loved because they would have loved me if I was a lovable person. But I guess I wasn't a lovable person. That's why they didn't love me. Generally, that's not the reason. The reason is they didn't love you for their own. They had their own problems. And so often when a person is in that situation, then they think, well, why would God love me? My own mother didn't even love me. What to speak of God? And as I often say, well, Krishna's not like your mother or father. So, as I said, not logical. He loves you for reasons which are not logical. Right? So... Then, you know, someone says, well, I want proof. What's the proof? I don't, maybe you don't think he loves you. What's the proof? Well, why did he come here if he didn't love you? <coughs> why did he do everything he did to call you back? And then, eventually, by divine arrangement, which means his arrangement, Prabhupada came. So if he didn't care about you, why did he send Prabhupada? And if Prabhupada didn't come, where would you be now? What would you be doing? Looking for some guru, not knowing what a guru really is, not knowing what a bona fide process is. So to me, one of the strongest manifestations or demonstrations of Krishna's love for us is Prabhupada. He arranged that Prabhupada would come and save us. What more proof do you need? And then... He created a movement. Now the movement gives shelter to so many people. That's a manifestation of Krishna's love. Krishna is available to us. But I think perhaps maybe the most important point is, is to not think of this logically. Krishna says, devotees are in my heart. Sadhunam redayam toham sadhunam redayam Right? The devotees are in my heart, I'm in their heart. Krishna's not ungrateful. Ungrateful. Prabhupada said that. Krishna's not ungrateful. He sees what you're doing. Krishna doesn't look at your heart and say, well, your heart's impure. 
that even though you've sacrificed your life to me, even though you've done tremendous service to help bring people to me, I still see that basically you're an envious person. You're not completely yet free from envy. So I really want nothing to do with you. Uh, I don't like you. I don't like envious people. And right in the Bhagavatam, I said, Bhagavatam is not for envious people. It's for the devotees who are not envious. So, you know, maybe someday when you're not envious, we can talk. But for now, just don't bother me. Actually, you should just put your beads down because you have so many bad qualities. And, you know, it kind of hurts me when I hear you chanting my name. That we we could think like that, and believe it or not, some devotees do think like that. Really, and, but that that's not the way Krishna thinks. So we we can't think of Krishna like we would think of an ordinary person who might think like that, because sometimes you see even even a father rejects a son or daughter. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want the responsibility. You're just a burden, and it goes away. And leaves the family. So Krishna's not like that. Thankfully, he's not like that. Okay. So now, I did not prepare anything else for today. What, can someone remind me what um, we were reading last week? Were we reading about Janvastami? Was that it? And we were going to continue up to Radhastami? And talk about Rata, that was kind of the plan. So we could, if you have no questions, we still have time. We could start preparing for Radhastami, and we could start talking about Radha. Radha! Remember the song? Our favorite song? Favorite, favorite song. I think we should sing it. Because it's such a good song. Voice not working, but you get the idea. So, let's talk about Radharani. We had given a class yesterday about Radharani. I don't know. 
How many of you saw that class? Radharani is the personification of love of Krishna. That's that's what it's all about, right? It's all about love. Everyone in this world, right? We're all looking for love, so it's all about love. Yes? So, um, let me know if the... If, um, the voice is breaking up because using this camera requires more bandwidth. And, and so if there's a problem, let me know. So you could say Radharani is the embodiment of love, love personified. Love, if love could manifest in a form, if love of Krishna and pure devotion to the highest degree, could manifest in a form, and it did. That's Radharani. And if we want to understand what pure love of Krishna is, then we understand it through Radharani, because she exemplifies pure love. Oh, you might have more questions. I didn't go down. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. So maybe... We're not going to get to this Radharani Kata yet. I hadn't... So, I'm going to go down and read your thoughts. So, Gabriella says, As a therapist, I have realized how valuable it is for people who have been victims of violence to realize that they can find unconditional love embracement and protection and healing by creating a relationship with Paramatma and Krishna. <laughs> wow. I call that Paramatma therapy. However, it has to be a therapeutic process carried out with great care towards that person respecting their process, their rhythm and their beliefs. Yeah. Well, definitely for any devotees who are therapists or in the healing field, there's certain protocol, but we can add Krishna to that protocol and empower that protocol, for sure. And the one thing, Gabriella, and for anyone who's a coach or a counselor, should understand that in the self, in the recovery movement, recovery means recovering from addictions, in the recovery movement, they say it's not self-help, it's God-help. In other words, there there are times and there are challenges in which we don't have the power. We're, we're actually helpless. We're addicted. And so this power is controlling us and we can't control it, no matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, how many rounds we chant, how much association we have. Still, that addiction, it's underlying everything and it comes back. And so... In the recovery movement, they say only God can help you. So that that is always the idea of the devotee that no matter what, it's always ultimately it's Krishna who's helping, right? And only Krishna can help. So if someone can place that much trust and faith in Krishna, then very they will be able to get the power through Krishna to overcome their problems. So that's a beautiful idea. 
which is the Krishna conscious idea. So that, for any devotee who's doing counseling, that or is trying to improve themselves, that's the basis. So Prambhat is saying, what about his close associates? Does he not need their association also? Or is it that like they're always with him and so he's satisfied? Yeah. They're always together forever and ever. Yeah. Actually, although he needs them for his leelas, it's not really needing because they're his own energy. Yeah, when Krishna's dancing with the gopis, he's dancing with himself because they're all manifestations of him. I heard Krishna was dancing with wives of other men's wives. No, he was just dancing with himself. There was a song like that. I'll be sleeping, some maybe love song or something. I'll, I'll be sleeping with myself tonight. And Krishna could be saying, I'll be dancing with myself. So in a sense, he's dancing with himself. Another sense, they're all his wives. They all come from him. So different ways of looking at it. There were comments from August 5th. I read them. Oh, there's another document. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Do-do-do-do. Oh, Okay, there's another document. Class is getting exciting. Let's find the other document. August 5th. Oh, I didn't open it. That's why we have Satyarupa there, to remind me. The absent-minded professor needs to be reminded. I think that the greatest fear of every devotee, especially if they're teachers, especially if they have disciples, is that their mind will degenerate so they can't think properly and remember and so on. So sometimes I have devotees acting as my mind reminding me. So this is a question or a comment from Krishna Karshani. Many devotees struggle with emotional and even psychological issues. I think more so now than when I was young. Or maybe we're more aware of it, I'm not sure. But um, families were more stable in my generation. So I think there was less less problems. I'm not sure. I don't I can't say. It, it just appears that way. Maybe someone has information. Maybe Gabriella, you can find out if the emotional, psychological issues, traumas, etc., are greater now than in previous generations my generation specifically, or is that just, we're, or is it just, we're just more aware of it? Are we, psychologists are great at giving names to mental problems. We didn't have names for them. So <clears throat> before you just acted a certain way, now there was no name for it, so you thought you were fine. Now that I've given a name, it's a, you know, it's a syndrome, the blah, blah, blah syndrome. Oh, I'm really messed up. I have the blah, blah, blah syndrome. Fifty years ago, you didn't think you were messed up because they didn't have a name for it. <laughs> and when you give it a name for it, you know what you get after that? Medication to cure it. Mm. Big business, right? 
But you got to give it a name first. Because without a name, then there's no need for medication to cure it. ADHD, ADD, attention deficit. Everybody's got attention deficit. Get rid of your smartphone, you'll have no attention deficit. Okay. This issue often have detrimental impact on their spiritual life and relationships. Do you think that devotees should go for therapy? Just pray to Krishna. You know, Prabhupada once said, he was asked this question about going to a doctor, and he said, well, go to the doctor and pray to Krishna. And he said, ultimately, Krishna is the... Everything ultimately depends on Krishna, but practically speaking, you can go to the doctor, but pray to Krishna. And Prabhupada himself went to doctors. It's practical, but pray to Krishna. He's the ultimate. The ultimate cure ultimately depends on him. One guru said that psychology is maya. I would not mention his name. Well, you know, when you're having these discussions, the first thing the first thing you have to do is when someone says something is maya, define what you mean by that something because maybe we would all agree that a certain kind of psychology is maya. Or maybe he's seen certain things that cause devotees to leave Krishna consciousness. But of course when you generalize all psychology is maya, that it means it means you're saying you can't use psychology in Krishna's service. And I don't think any psychologist or therapist or counselor or coach would ever say psychology is maya. As we would we would, wouldn't say, in a sense, many things are maya in and of themselves. They're neutral. It depends how you use them. So it may be that a certain kind of psychology, which is connected with a bodily concept or philosophical ideas which are antithetical to Krishna consciousness, yeah, that could be maya. Or the results of some psychological disciplines could be detrimental for some people. That may be true. But to say in general that how could you say anything is bad in general unless you could demonstrate that 100%. That 100% of the devotees who utilize this left Krishna consciousness or left Krishna in some way. Now, I think, I think one of the arguments that comes up is that, well, maybe you got a solution using a, a psychological process, but did you need that process? Could you have gotten that from Bhagavatam, from the Sangha of devotees? <clears throat> and that's a valid question. But if after applying all these practices and you're still addicted to alcohol, even though you're chanting 64 rounds and you're doing everything, and that does happen. I, I know devotees who they have tremendous sadhana, but they have tremendous problems then in that case, if they can get help to help them break the addiction, why would that be maya? So I think a lot of times, I, th I think the other thing also is, sometimes we talk about things that we haven't investigated. It's just, I've seen this, human nature, you know, you come to me and you say, oh, this devotee did this and now she left Krishna consciousness. And it was some psychological therapy or something. So then my response is, oh, psychology is maya. <clears throat> On what basis do I say that? Well, this devotee did this, 
and they left Krishna consciousness. But that's only one sample out of thousands of people who did other things who helped them. I, I know a devotee, and he, he had trouble at some point in his life. And he started drinking and this and that, got divorced. And he came back to Krishna consciousness, but he came back to Krishna consciousness because of a, a workshop he did, which is like a self-help, spiritual, psychological, therapeutic workshop. And that brought him back to Krishna consciousness. So, you know, maybe it wouldn't have brought everyone back to Krishna consciousness. Maybe it would have taken someone away from Krishna consciousness. And I, I can't say it wouldn't, although I know people who've taken it, and it hasn't taken anyone away from Krishna consciousness. But it's helped everyone. So, you know, I think it's important when we discuss anything that we also have to take into consideration realities on the ground. Otherwise, we could be speaking very theoretically. Isn't it? Have you ever seen that? Like there's a discussion. We're discussing something. And it's a theoretical, philosophical discussion. But sometimes it gets to the point where it it's like a rocket taking off from reality. It's like the realities on the ground aren't even considered anymore. So I think... I think when we make broad generalizations, sometimes that can happen, that the realities on the ground are not considered. And I may be speaking about something just because, like I said, I heard a devotee had a bad experience. But I haven't studied it. And so I've seen that with some devotees. They hear that someone had a bad experience and they generalize that. Oh, then all, all these seminars are bad, all the psychology is bad, and so forth. I can't say it's all good. I can't say nothing is bad. I can't say there isn't somewhat truth, some truth to what they're saying. But I can't really talk about it because I don't know what they're referring to. But I think to say all something is bad requires knowing all about it to say that, not just knowing one incident, which is, I think, generally when we say this is all bad, or, you know, I read one book by one psychotherapist and I concluded that all psychotherapy is bad, but there's different kinds of psychotherapy. And then, what do you do when a devotee says, you know, I, I had psychotherapy and it cured this problem I had? What do you do and say, actually, it didn't cure the problem, you're just an illusion. It couldn't cure the problem. The problem, it was just in your astrology that the problem was going to go away on the, and during this month, and it was just a coincidence. Okay, you could say that, but that flies in the face of the reality of what's actually happening. So, at least it's a consideration when you're discussing philosophy. Try to make sure that what you're discussing does not defy the reality as we know it, as we see it day to day in front of our eyes. No, this devotee was helped by this process. Yeah, I see that, but I deny that. Because if I accept that, it doesn't go with my theory that all psychology is bad. That's not, it's not fair, it's not honest. And as teachers, we need to be fair and honest <clears throat> about what we present. You know, there, there's the idea that nothing's bad if it can be used in Christian service. 
So that I think that's the general principle when you're discussing what's good and bad, is can it be used in Krishna service? That's the question. Right? Hare Krishna, that's the question I have. All right. Now we have a lot of you who are in the field, who've studied psychology, who are counselors, therapists. And as I said, you'll have hundreds of stories of how you've helped people. But also I would say that so much of Krishna consciousness has its own psychology, which is not always different from the secular psychology, because the mind is the mind, and the mind works a certain way. And so to utilize the mind to work for us in Krishna consciousness in, requires understanding how it functions and the, and the principles of it. Now you might say, but the, the therapy of the Vedas is through the modes of nature. And for my study of therapy, psychology, much of it's similar. It's just, it's not, it's not viewed in those terms of the three modes of nature. But indirectly, the way certain things are described, we can say, oh yeah, that's the mode of ignorance. They're describing the mode of ignorance. They just don't know they're describing it. And they're providing therapies which are more sattvic, and they don't know that they're doing that, but that's what they're doing. So, it's an interesting question, because I, I think we could rephrase that question. Is if something works in helping me become Krishna conscious, but it's not derived directly from the Vedas, is it Maya? Now, one could say, well, if it's knowledge, it's Veda. But how would we answer that question? Well, did following that process compromise? Was it a compromise? Did you do something sinful? Could you have done it in a, in a more Krishna conscious way? Those are the questions. And if the answer is, there was no other Krishna conscious way to do it. It was just, this was just therapy. This is what I had to do to deal with this trauma. Then I would question that statement that that's Maya when the result, when there was no other way to deal with it and the result was so beneficial. That was a long answer, but now we have John saying something, who is a counselor, not only a counselor, but a professor of counseling, teaches people how to counsel. Sometimes I've tried to remember that Krishna can see everything in my heart, and then think that if Krishna accepts me with all my stuff, even though so much to work on there, that feels like mercy, yeah. The the meaning of mercy is that mercy overlooks faults. So I may be used to looking at my faults, and I may be used to having other people look at my faults, and then conclude, well, Krishna must be looking at my faults. Not the case. Not the case. He doesn't look at us like we look at us. Okay, I have to go back and look at your comments because you may be saying all kinds of things while I'm speaking. We're going to talk about Radharani and then we're talking about psychology. Wow. We've digressed, huh? From the spiritual world to the material world. I couldn't find the recording what, of the class yesterday. Maybe they didn't put it up. Uh, we have a question. 
Yeah. Okay. Let me finish these other questions, and if there's time, we'll get back. Looks like a lot of questions. Shyamanandini. Is it okay to have problems? It is okay to have problems, but it's not okay to do not do anything about them. So profound. Yeah. That's what I said. I mean, I mean, you know, we don't. When I say it's okay to have problems, I, I don't mean you should have excuses for your problems. I mean that you have problems, so it's okay to have problems. Means that it's not an impediment to bhakti. In spite of your problems, you go on. Krishna accepts you, Prabhupada accepts you. So by saying it's okay to have problems, I meant it's normal to have problems. If you didn't have problems, why would you be here in the material world? So it's normal, but it's not an impediment. Wow, it's actually cold in this room. Can you believe it? And you can't even hear the air conditioning, can you? That's amazing. My life has changed totally since I got the air conditioning. Okay, you want to see it now that we have the camera? I can show you. I have to go go back and look. Yeah, there it is. The one on top is the old one that leaked water all over my desk and destroyed it. <laughs> and there it is. Blowing nice cool air. It was so hot in here before. You have, unless you live in Mayapur in the middle of July, you have no idea how hot it was. <laughs> it was very hot. Okay. Krishna <coughs> Karshani said, You said once that's okay to have problems, but it's bad to have the same problems all the time. Yeah. Because it means you're not learning. So, if you have a problem, then you have a guru, and <coughs> guru helps you solve the problem. But, but, um, as they say in India, I have to see Prabhupada with the camera. Move me. But if <coughs> keep having the same problem, not good. Gabriella says, since I started practicing Krishna consciousness, my levels of self-demand have increased greatly, as well as the quest for perfection. Thank you for this wonderful class. For reminding me, yeah, we're saying, you know, yeah, take it easy on yourself. You're not going to be perfect overnight, and you don't have to be. Because perfection, Krishna consciousness, is not material perfection. It's perfection of love. And we're not going to have love until we're more advanced, and by following the process, we'll get the love. So just be patient. Kamaniya says, God help versus self-help. Great topic for a class. Yeah. John says, I've seen counseling, therapy, psychology tools help clear away the junk so that folks get a glimpse of God and the soul. Nice. And then attraction builds. Important to find the right helper. Right. So nice statement. Psychology can help 
someone says all psychology is Maya, someone then you can say psychology can help clear the junk. And then of course the argument is always, well, Krishna consciousness can do that. Say so that's fine, but in some cases someone may need a little help, more help. Because the question I would ask is, is let's say you have some trauma, you were sexually abused when you were a little child. And it's coming up now in your adult life, you're remembering it, and it's problematic. So I could say, well, you just should chant more rounds. But then the question would arise, is, is japa meant to cure trauma? Is that, how, is, is that the function of it? You can say, well, God can cure any trauma. And of course, we would agree. But I think we have to bring this point into question, you know, is is the holy name, is that the function of the holy name? Is that what it's designed for? And would it even be offense to chant the holy name to become free from trauma? Or are there other processes that could directly deal with it? I would tend to think the latter to be true. More so true than the former. Philosophically and practically. Doesn't discount the fact that pure chanting of the holy name could solve all kinds of traumas, but it's not wasn't created to do that. And our chanting may not be pure enough for it to do that. Or it may not be the nature of the holy name to do that. And even okay, let's say let's say for the sake of argument, it is the nature of the holy name. It can do that. Okay. Can you chant purely enough for it to do it? And what do you do while you're progressing to be able to chant purely enough while you're being affected by this trauma. Just remain affected. Could you get help? To me, it seems like it's just common sense. If I can get help, and that help would thereby, as John says, help me in my Christian consciousness, why, why would I want to wait 20 years to clear my stuff out when it's, it's such an impediment to my bhakti? Something to think of. Kishori says, My psychotherapy was so good for me, it helped me a lot. Even my therapist became an incredible devotee of Krishna. So, Gabriella was helping Kishori, and Kishori was helping Gabriella. It was perfect. The perfect relationship. Clin and so Gabriella says, Clinical psychology can greatly help people, especially those who have been victims of violence. However, when psychology is combined with Vedic theology, the contribution to the common good can be even more powerful. Beautiful. That's a great answer. All psychology is Maya. Well, let's use it for Krishna. It'll be more powerful. Okay, so now we're going to go back. We get to end by talking about Radharani, getting ready for tomorrow. Sadhirupa said, uh, I mentioned in yesterday's class of Bhagavatam is a book on love. Can you explain more? Well, if Bhagavatam is a book about Krishna and his devotees, then it must be a book about love, because that's what goes on with Krishna and his devotees. Only love. Love and love only. That's it. So that's... What else is going on in the Bhagavatam? That's the understanding. That ultimately, everything in the Bhagavatam is to awaken our love of Krishna. So everything is concerned with love. 
And certainly all the leelas of Krishna and his devotees, they're all about love. Yes? You agree? That's the truth. So, you know, but there are ten topics of Bhagavatam, creation, sec secondary creation, material world, and so forth. But we see underlying all of this, like like Bhagavat what's the statement of Bhagavatam? It's the Amala Purana. It's a, both the Amala Purana and other stories about Indra doing things which are indicative of big ego and so forth. What does that have to do with love? Ultimately, if you look behind everything, you'll see that ultimately that's where it's taking you to loving Krishna. So even even if I'm studying the material world, material world comes from Krishna. It's his glory. And so even by studying the material world, I can become attached to Krishna, to loving. Uh, my love for Krishna can grow. That's why Krishna describes these things. My faith in Krishna can grow by understanding by understanding how he creates the world like that. Krishna says, beautiful class yesterday. Love what you said, how Radharani is the personification of Krishna's compassion and is the teacher in the school of love. Radharani teaches Krishna how to love. Yes? She's Krishna's teacher in the school of love. <laughs> it, so, it's so transcendental. Uh, just like, just he, as Prabhupada said, you may not understand, but just hear. Just hear about it. Let, I, I would say the best way to hear about Radharani is don't, is don't try to figure it out with your head. Because I can guarantee you, your head cannot figure it out. When you hear about Radharani, just hear with your heart this is this is the person that loves Krishna more than anyone. She is the personification of love. Just let that sink into your heart. Your head's like not gonna understand. You know, because we have our own definitions of love, which have nothing to do with Radha's love for Krishna. Right? So hear, hear from the heart. Just let it, you know, hear it, feel it. I don't want to be anti-intellectual, but trying to understand Radharani, that's not something you can understand. It's only understandable to the degree that you have love for Krishna. But worship Radharani, pray for her mercy. As I said yesterday, if you can get a little of her mercy, that is amazing. It will have an amazing effect on you. Now, I have a question. When I'm looking at the screen, I'm freezing up all the time. Do you see me freezing up? Okay, now we asked Gab Gabriella the question, are people having more emotional problems today than ever before? I just heard a survey, Gabriella, that during lockdown, one out of ten people has seriously contemplated suicide, not just, I, not just like thoughts, but actually seriously thought about suicide. Interesting. Yes, research in different countries and from the World Health Organization indicates that mental health disorders have increased and continue to increase, especially in 
life in the big cities as opposed to life in the country. That's beautiful. I grew up in Los Angeles. And you might say, oh, Los Angeles, it's such a big city. How could you live there? It's so crowded. Well, when I grew up, it wasn't such a big city and it wasn't so crowded. And the neighborhood I lived in had lots of trees and lots of lawns and we were never more than maybe two miles from a park. And there were, yeah, there were no, yeah, all these, all these strip malls and all this and that and franchise stores it didn't happen. It was, it was okay. It was nice. I never felt like I was, never felt like I was in a big city at all. Now cities have grown tremendously and uh, life has become much different. So I'm glad that you said that because that, that confirms what I'm seeing on the ground. And many of the leaders in our movement are now aware of the need for counseling, the need for helping devotees with their emotional and psychological issues because we're seeing more of it. Whereas when we were younger devotees, it was just just Chanari Krishna. Everything's fine. You'll be you'll be okay in no time. Most of us didn't have these issues. Things have degraded tremendously. You know, we were all hippies. You look at us and you think, "Wow, you're really weird, strange." And it's true. Sometimes we were weird and strange, but that was because we were using drugs. But once we stopped using drugs. We weren't, most of us were no longer weird and strange. A few of us are still weird and strange, but the drugs are never, we kind of never got, some devotees never really got over those drugs. They did permanent damage. But um, that was a different kind of damage, you know, frying the brain out a bit. <laughs> so, yeah. So we have now a different breed of people in the world, and so we're going to have to be equipped to help them in different ways than we did previously. At least that's the, the thinking of lots of devotees. Mm. Can you please sing Radhe Jaya Jaya Madhava Dahite Kukula Tarani Mandala Mahite I just sang it. Radhe Jaya Jaya Madhava Dahite Kukula Tarani Mandala Maite Radhe Jai Jaya Madhava Daite Kukula Tarani Mandala Maite Everything about Radharani is all about how she attracts and bewilders Krishna. Krishna is controlled by love. It's such a beautiful thought, isn't it? Krishna is controlled by love. And you can control Krishna by your love. And so, if there's anything valuable in life, it's love. And Krishna wants you to love him, and Krishna wants to be controlled by your love. So that's, what is life for? What's the purpose? What it's all about? It's about love. That's it. Nothing more. Increasing mm -hmm. japa quiets the mind and heart that is traumatized even without asking for it. Yeah, we're all traumatized to some degree, right? 
Purnishta. Though chanting can make any trauma feel insignificant in comparison to the love for the holy name and eventually hold the trauma can be removed or weakened at least. It can be definitely weakened. Depends on the trauma though. Because most of us are not experiencing severe trauma of being told that your birth was useless or being molested growing up, you know, again and again by a parent. Like that's fortunately most of us haven't experienced that. Well, of course we're not saying we don't take shelter of Krishna. We're not saying that. I'm freezing, yeah, it's because freezing one second sometimes. Yeah. I may be freezing, but as long as you can hear me, that's the main thing. Video does freeze from time to time. On my screen, it's freezing all the time. That's the that's the bandwidth of this. I don't know if I can change the bandwidth. Radha, Priya, maybe you could see if we can adjust the bandwidth on the stream. Okay, so it's 9.31. You got one minute bonus point. We're going to end class here. If you want to join us in two and a half hours, we're going to chant Japa from Eastern Time, from 12 to 1. Hare Krishna to all of you. And uh, we will get more into Radharani Kata, Radha Kata tomorrow. On Radharani's appearance day, Radhashtami, Hare Krishna. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai Go Premanandi Hari Hari Bo.